Matthew chapter 6. Oh, the class, okay. Um, uh, the special need class can dismiss at this time also. So, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to go into straight to the world. Did you all have a good 4th of July? Oh, come on. Some things happen in your neighborhood? <laughs> Exciting. You know, I always think, this is a funny, I think about it all the time. When I sit down on 4th of July, I think, man, it must be really terrible to be a bird on that holiday. They hate this holiday. They think Jesus has come back. You know, you know, I just, it's a wildlife for them. But, um, but God is good nonetheless. And you know, isn't it good that with all the news we had, the ISIS throwing all the things that they're going to attack on 4th of July, you know, sometimes we hear those things and we take it for granted that nothing happened. And we don't need to take it for granted but nothing happened. We need to thank God. Because there are people that are working tirelessly, looking, debunking. We don't hear the news of what they prevent from happening. And so we don't need to be naive but be thankful. Amen? So I am so thankful that there was no drama yesterday. You know, I personally experienced, uh, uh, in, in 1998, there was a terrorist attack in Nairobi, the city where I was born and raised, um, at the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi. And I was actually headed to the a bank building right next to that, uh, the U.S. Embassy. And I remember, um, um, I remember a friend of mine, Tony, uh, we were driving and we, were, and, uh, and, and we pulled um, uh, at a mall. We pulled over at a mall to go pick up something, and it took us later. We, we, we took us a long time, longer than we expected. Yeah. And how we were all upset, actually, to be honest, was a, there was a female friend that kept us <laughs> late. And we were both like, ah, yeah, you know, we should be right there. But, you know, and so we drive a couple miles later, and we drive and we see all this debris. And we can't know what, what to make of it. The sirens are going everywhere. And as we got closer and closer to the downtown area, the... We started realizing something really terribly wrong had happened. You know, and so, and we were just that close. Had we made it in time, we would have been right in the heart of it. You know, and then fast forward in 2001, the week of 9-11, I was actually coming to Lincoln. And I was flying through um, uh, London to Chicago. And they stopped all the flights that were coming into the United States. And I was one of the first flights to be accepted in. And I tell you, the world changed at that very moment. Uh, um, uh, they opened with my weird name and the accent. I tell you, they took my bag. I had Bibles and books in there. They opened every page, you know. And, you know, if you're really mad, you'll get upset by how they do it. But they had to. Uh, and, and we don't take those things lightly. And there's will out there. So we need to thank God every time we are safe. We need to be so thankful every time. Uh, and not be too quick to forget, you know. But I tell you, um, uh, the enemy is at work. And the only thing that would come against is the church. The only power that could literally change anything is the church. And it's not with physical power. The Bible says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, demonic spirits, powers in the heavenly prayers, a spiritual warfare that we fight, and we fight it on our knees. Amen? So I want to urge you to get praying here. That was not part of the message. That was for free. Um, uh, God bless you. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. All right. Matthew chapter 6. Thank you, Jesus. But I, I am thankful. I, I, that's all I'm trying to say. I am thankful. I'm thankful to be alive. I'm thankful to be worshiping God at a place uh, that is safe, at a place, a nice temperature and everything. I'm thankful to be worshiping with you. 
today, you know. But we also need to remember our other brothers and sisters in the Lord that are worshipping the same Christ, they are worshipping the same Lord, but for them it's a lot harder. It means they are alive. So, um, uh, and I, I don't know if we'd ever get to that point, but I'm thankful for now. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 6. Um, uh, I'm going to read a passage there beginning in, uh, in verse uh, 5. And uh, as we go to uh, the, as we get to reading the word, you know, we have been talking for a few weeks um, about um, just having, cultivating a relationship with God. And, uh, and last week, Pastor Heather, didn't she do a great job? Our kids, Pastor, she did a phenomenal job. If you missed that, download it on iTunes, listen to it. It was a great, great message. And I have a, I have a word from her too. If she needs help in the kids' ministry as well. Let me just tell you, they're not babysitting there. They're teaching, they're preparing the next generation. They're laying principles, and you can be a part of that too. So if you can help in any way, sometimes it's not teaching, it's just helping. You talk to her and say, hey, I want to help. I, you know, come in, whatever you want. And sometimes it's just simple things that they need help with. They're great teachers, and they're, but teachers always need support. You might not be a gifted teacher, but you could help a kid clean up after dropping popcorn or something. You could do something like that. But you know what? Make no mistake, you're making a difference. And it's not just little difference, you're making eternal difference when you do that. Um, so anyway, talking about having a relationship with God, seeking God, and not just the things that God provides, not just seeking his blessing, having a relationship that is dynamic, that is uh, thriving with God. That's the kind of relationship that God is inviting us to enter into. And oftentimes we walk so far beneath the kind of relationship that is available to us. We talked about Father God. Jesus introduces something really good to us. He introduces God as not just God, the creator of everything. He introduces God as God our Father. Something that was absolutely foreign to the Old Testament people, but new to the New Testament. And God wants to relate with us. And when we get to know God the Father, we find that God the Father, He is a relational and He is a personal God. That we don't need to just practice religion or do religious things. We can have a thriving relationship with our Heavenly Father. Can I get an amen? That God the Father, He's forgiving. He's loving. He gives us second chances. I could give you one or two, boy. Uh, you try the third time, man. I don't know. God help me. But God always has. Second chances. He never gives up on us. Whenever we come back towards him and we feel like even if I stumble, uh, he, he is so patient with me and, and that alone is worth just worship. How many have experienced the mercy and the grace of God in their lives? And you're like, wow, God, I screwed it up again and again and again and I know better. And he comes back and he gives me another chance. And he never gives up on you. Your family might give up on you. Your friends might give up on you. You might give up on yourself, but your God never gives up on you. And today I want to address an area uh, of prayer. Because all of this is initiated at a, at a point. And it's cultivated in the way we approach God, the way we communicate to God, the way we address God, the way we, we talk to him. It's, it's, it's our attitude towards prayer. And how? Because you cannot cultivate any relationship without communication. And I want to relate, I want to, I want to just address one aspect of prayer this morning with you. And, and here's my, here's my prayer. 
My prayer is that you, the spirit of wisdom, like what Paul would say, and revelation knowledge will come to you. Because if you catch this, if you catch that revelation, it will change your life. It will change your life. It will change your life. It will change how you relate to God and really ultimately affect or impact how deep or how shallow your relationship is going to be. It's going to determine whether you actually get to enjoy the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Will you hear stuff like that being said of the Bi- in the Bible? And you think, how did people get to that point where they make statements like that? That I will wait on the Lord. I will wait patiently on the Lord. Because I know, I, I would not give up, I would have given up. But I know, I know, I know that one time, no matter what's going on in my life, I know that I shall enjoy the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Why, how do people get to that point? Practicing good religion? Absolutely not. Being just good church people? Absolutely not. Being just a good citizen? Absolutely not. That comes only out of a place of relationship with God. You don't come up with stuff like that. And we, for thousands of years, we sing hymns that other people were inspired because of their walk with God. And we sing songs for hundreds of years out of someone that was walking with God. And got a revelation, got a new insight, if you would. Their spiritual light bulbs turned on and they saw an aspect of God that brought revelation. And when they share that, it brings light to us. And it carries on from generation to generation. But I tell you what, the Jesus we serve is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that has inspired those folks is the same God that lives in your life if you have Jesus in your heart. The same Holy Spirit that inspired even the scriptures live in your spirit. And God can inspire things out of you that you never thought existed. You never thought existed because you've discovered a place of relationship with him. Matthew chapter 6 talks about the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read starting from verse 5, okay? Verse 5, if you're with me. Okay, in fact, let me read it out of NIV. I think this Bible I have is New King James. Let me read it out of NIV. And I got it here. I think it's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Um, if you have one, bring it to church next time. If you don't have one, we could get you one, all right? Get, you need to get your Bible because I'm not going to read the whole thing. I need to go read it for yourself. If I say something here, you, go, you need to go look at it. Is, is it what he's saying? Is, is, is it true? I could be selling you Kool-Aid. <laughs> so you need, to, you need to know your word. Okay, so and we don't have time to do that. So yeah, yeah get your Bible. So that's a, I really believe in this document. You know, we have we have a. We, can I tell you some for uh, about uh, our nation? So take it from a guy who grew up in a different nation. Okay, so we've had a, a, a constitution that lasted 239 years and still going. Okay. It's been modified many times, changed here and there. Da 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 da. Interpreted based on whoever thinks they like to interpret. I'm not going to even go there. Because that could just start a new debate. But anyway, those are documents written by men. But I tell you, this word here has lasted thousands of years. And the Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will always stand. If you could bank your life on anything, if you could count your life on anything, you could count on something that's lived through the ages, inspired by the Holy Spirit and will always be. 
Because the word really is a combination of Jesus Christ. It says that the, in the beginning there was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen? Amen. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So, uh, another bonus too. Okay, maybe we'll finish a psalm, or maybe we'll go on next week. Okay, so, well, let's go ahead. <laughs> and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the streets of every corner, and the corners of every street to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room. Take your pointy finger. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, go to your room. So that's my title. Well, I know you're thinking... Go to your room, you know. It's a thing you hear when you've kind of, I told you once, I did two, I did three times. Time out, go to your room. I had to do it on a holiday. I don't count, but you know, you know, the fireworks and all that, kids staying up too late and sometimes they just need to go to your room. And so, but today the message title is go to your room, but a little kind of different room. So, so when you pray, the Bible says, but when, but when you pray, what do you do? Go to your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on bubbling like pagans, for they think that their father they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For, you sh- for your father knows what you need before you ask. Now I think that is a very profound statement if you thought about it. Because you could take out of it and say, well, if he already knows what I need, why should I pray? Okay, just a thought. But let's go on. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also, uh, as, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Strong contingency right there as it relates to forgiveness. It's not just automatic. Wow. Not Old Testament with the reading. This, this is red letter Bible. This is Jesus speaking to us. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you speak to us through your word. I pray, God, that you let us not be the same after your word. Let it accomplish the purpose for which you send. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and among other things, before he comes to this point, he's addressed a few things. And uh, and, uh, he's talking to his disciples about how they should approach prayer. And the very, very first thing he says is that the thing, once you already have established who you're talking to, your Father in heaven, once you've established that, he talks about the first thing that we need to address is hallowed be your name. He addresses praise. 
if you would. So, think about the conflict here. We're talking about God, almighty, omnipotent, great. But we are addressing him as our father. You know what that happens? That's God coming so low. Coming to our level. Coming down in the dirt and dirty where we are. And it was all came down to that cross. Who left everything. But it's our father who is in heaven. But in heaven, he reigns. He's majestic. He's everlasting. King of millions and millions of angels. Creator of all things. Our Father. That's a humbling thought. To just think about it. Think for a minute. And then Jesus says, after you have established that relationship, it's clear to you. Here's then how to pray. And the words used there, hallowed be your name. The hallow, what does it mean to hallow something? It really is not a word that we use in modern English. In fact, the, when you look at the direct translation, there isn't actually a real equivalent of the word we use. And I love that the translators of NIV, which is a little bit more modern in translation, they still kept that. Because there is no individual word that actually translates it. But it says, it really is to keep, is to get, is to put something above everything. It's something that's supposed to be held in sacred that ultimate thing, the ultimate thing that you live for. It's a very unique, it's like this is the purpose. Everything else centers around this central thing that needs to be respected, honored, sacred, standalone. And he says that when we approach God, that the first thing we should do is not to even pray for our needs, it's not even to ask for forgiveness. It's to approach God in praise. To come to him in praise. Now, you know, this is natural. How many of you mess up every time, once in a while? Okay, how many mess up? A lot. <laughs> and especially when you mess up against God. Think about the emotions that you have in approaching God. That's the time you don't want to run into pastor at the mall or the guys at the small group or the maybe avoid a seat in the back seat, not you guys, you know, the other, the other guys that are not there, you know. Um, uh, but our tendency is to stay away. And you feel like if for some reason you feel uh, a sense of forgiveness, then you feel like you could approach God again. But yet God says that when you approach, Jesus is saying here, when you approach me, you don't even go to your sins yet. Guess what? God already knows. He knows what you did. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father out there, he's looking down. Well, those are our Sunday school songs. But he always knows he already knows. But he's saying that there's a way we think about approaching God that actually gives us a posture of worship. 
And it's not so much the mechanics. <laughs> now your principal guys are saying, okay, step one, praise. Step two, they, no. It's an attitude of how we live. Okay, so let me tell you another thing Jesus is not saying here. Because you could take that verse, passage, and say, he says, well, don't be like the hypocrites. And that, well, who are hypocrites? People are inconsistent, aren't they? They say one thing, they do another, you know. So they're inconsistent in their behavior. But Jesus is not forbidding praying in public, is he? He's not forbidding speaking at every corner, of the corner of every street, is he? He's not. And you know, those that say, well, they don't pray in public because of that. But what is addressing, I want to pick on a principle, because I want to show you that praise is not just what we say or sing. It really is something that we do throughout our lives. That we all praise at all times. But we don't always praise God. And when we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, really it's addressing that he is the ultimate thing. So Jesus says, when you pray, go to your room. Go to your room. Um, um, it's not literal as such. It could be your room, but it's not as literal as such. Because I can tell you right now, um, with seven children and four bedrooms, some people don't have an option to say, this is my room. <laughs> or go to a place in the world where a whole family lives in a 10 by 10. They live outside, they go inside to sleep away from the rain. So it's not literal as such, but really Christ is talking about something that's greater than the physical room. Now, it could be that quiet place that you find is in your room. So you're with me on that. But Jesus is addressing prayer. Even when he's talking about the hypocrites, he's talking about prayer. Okay, He's talking about prayer and the attitude of prayer. And he says that he's a kind of person. That what matters to them the most is a claim. To be seen, to get some perceived maybe a spiritual people, or whatever it is. You could, you could put any brand or anything on it. It says that that kind of person that the need for recognition is so great, and that's what drives them. That is what they hallow at. Let me put it this way. When you are, have nothing to do, zero, zinc, that ever happens, what do you think about? Your solitude. What do you think about? You think about your retirement, stock market. You think about maybe owning your own apartment building. Think about I don't know, beauty, fame, getting married. Not, not bad, but is it all, is it, is that what's occupying your mind? Is that what's the ultimate thing in life? Because the thing that you think about all the time when you have nothing to do is the thing that you're hallowing. It's the thing that you adore. It's the thing that you're adoring. And what Jesus is saying here is that make that thing that you adore be God. And he's saying to the person that's inconsistent, 
is that they pray in public, but they don't do it in secret. What they do in outside, they're finding, they're gaining whatever they are seeking, and it's rewarding them right there. People, things, and I, and I tell you the danger of this is that sometimes people would even come to Christianity for different reasons. Maybe the need to have friends. And so maybe the church will provide friends. Maybe they just need something in their soul. They just need something, whatever. Whatever it is. It, it could be fake, it could be what. They just need to be a part of something to feel an emotional need. They never really invest in a relationship. They never really give their life over. They float around and their faith is built on the externals. And you wonder, wow, they seem to be a very nice guy and they're doing all this. It's all, they're getting their reward as they lived. But then something else and they disappear and you think, of what, whatever happened? Whatever happened? They never really invest in who he is. But Jesus is wanting to bring us, he's teaching us to come back to a place of adoration. And the thing that absolutely consumes our lives, the thing that we do in secret, the thing that we have solitude for, the thing that we hallow, if you would, is God. If it's not God, um, you're worshiping something else. Now, I know that's a strong word, but we need to examine our lives all the time. I have to examine mine. To think, what is really motivating my life? That's what Jesus is addressing. It's an issue of motivation. Now, praise can change you because God already knows the secrets of our heart. And he says, go to your room. Um, um, go to your room and your father who sees in, in secret will reward you. Therefore, and I tell you, um, the other point I want to make with that is if the thing that you hallow, the thing that you adore, the thing that you, you've invested your life in, consciously or subconsciously, okay, will show the consistency of your prayer. Because you will only pray when, the thing that, is, when that thing is at stake. Do you pray when you're in trouble? Is that when you pray? Do you pray when your financial finances are in crisis? Do you pray when your family, things are going crazy in your family? And then when things begin to get better, you don't pray? I remember I've told some of you some stories of when I got saved as a young person, teenager, and God was doing some amazing things through our, uh, my friend and I, deacons. My brother Sam would be here. He'd know the stories. And we were praying for all our friends, you know, that they would come to Christ every day. We'll write their names out on a list. You know, we know all, all the stuff that they're into. And we just pray one by one and we check them off. And then they'll come to the small group. They'll get saved. And all these kids in the neighborhood were getting saved. They're turning their life for God. Kids that wanted to party all the time. All they wanted to do now is Bible study and prayer and witnessing. Parents are thinking, what is going on with these kids? And one by one, some of our parents were coming to the Lord because of it. Okay? And so I remember this one kid, uh, his name was Ogae. He knows who that is. Uh, Isn't that funny? This is crazy for me because it's very unusual to have my double brother here. 
He's my brother, blood brother, but also a brother in the Lord. And we were praying in the morning, pre-service prayer and the first thing. We were just the two of us at first. It's like, that's awesome. Uh, and uh, you can be part of that prayer too, so it's not exclusive. But anyway, this one guy, his, this kid, he came and God was changing his life. But his prayer need was always one. He grew up in a polygamous family. And his mother was the oldest one. You can fill in the blanks. So it felt like his dad had neglected him. He didn't have a relationship with his dad. And uh, he had just graduated from high school, going on two years, just wants to go to college, wants to go to college. He has no money to go to college. And all of a sudden, when he comes to the Lord, um, um, things are starting to change in his life. His dad just comes out of the blue and says, Hey, what are you thinking about your life? And then pays for, for his college, the first year. And the guy, he'd come to small group and be sleeping when we were ta- discussing. It's like what the thing that he wanted the most, he found it. And then when he got it, guess what? Slowly, it missed. he was coming every week. Now he'd come uh, every other week, maybe once a month. Uh, then you, you have to say, hey, are you coming to group tonight? Oh, no, no, I'm too busy. Got a job, disappeared, ended up back, going back to party lifestyle. And this kind of thing happened to the Israelites over and over again. And even before they would go to the promised land, God would tell them, when you get to the place, when you have your big houses, when things are going good for you, do not forget the Lord your God, uh, because it is He who gives you the power to make wealth. Do not forget your God when these things happen. Remember. And then they would do over and over again. And they would even worship idols that were physical. But sometimes in our time, we worship idols. They might not be physical carvings, but they are things that we are obsessed with that we will constantly put above God. Oh yeah, we will not admit it. But if you really examine, we need to demote anything that tries to occupy that place of adoration. Only God shall occupy that place. And you find things in your life, and when you realize it, it needs to be demoted. And Jesus says, I'm not going to go through the whole Lord's Prayer. I just want to deal with adoration. Do you praise just the church? Do you praise in your car? Do you praise in your day? Do you worship God? Do you just sit down and enjoy God? For who he is, his beauty is amazing. When you think about the Father in heaven, the majestic one coming down, so Lord to me. I'm going to start praising right now. But that's the way I live. I just think and reflect on just how blessed I am that I could talk to God, the Father. And I tell you, my kids will tell you, I'll be randomly in the kitchen cooking something, but I'll start worshiping. Why? I want God to be that focal point, the reason I live, the purpose for my adoration. I praise at all times. See, King David would come to Psalm 27 and say, one thing I desire of the Lord, Psalm 27 verse 4, and that one thing I will seek that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. He talks about how that's the only thing he wants. He think going to the house of the Lord, was thinking, an hour and a half every Sunday. No, every day of my life. Does it mean the physical coming to the... No, it means that he, he has God as a focal point in his life. That every time he's praising God, everything, he, he's got God always Promoting God, demoting anything else that tries to take that place. And I tell you, there's great competition in our life. It could be the simplest things. 
but they could come in the way of walking with the Lord. And anything that's up there needs to be demoted. That we could go our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You are the purpose. You are the focal point of my life. You are the reason why I live. This is, this, you're my motivation. Because you know what? When you come in to ask for needs, he already knows it. That's what scriptures will talk about. Well, your father already knows that. Jesus in and, and Matthew 6, he goes on and talks about, well, not worrying about your life, everyday life. He says, the, 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 the people that do not know God worry about the same things. Don't worry about you, what you will eat, what you will wear, what you will drink. He, he talks about these things. He says, but you, my friend, you seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you because your father already knows the things that you need. Look at the lilies in the valley, how they're dressed up and how beautiful they are. They never tore or do anything, but God brings them up every season. Are you more, are you not of much value as them? He says, you should concentrate on laying your treasures on things that are not perishable, but laying your treasure in heaven. He says, oh, you want to investigate where your, where your heart is? Oh, go to, look at your checkbook register. That tell you what really is important to you. If you only drop five bucks for missions, I'm going to get all real like Jesus. But something entertaining you'll pay, drop a bunch of money at. Hmm. Something is higher. Now, you all live in social media areas. Remember the Night of Hope? How much was it? Like 10 bucks or 20, something like that to get in. And you hear people say, oh, I will not go to a church thing that costs money. It should be free. Anybody had someone say that to him? Well, I'll tell you this. It cost them more than the tickets paid. And they knew that even when they started. They knew that very well. It cost them more than the tickets. And it cost a lot of money. But well, the next week there'll be some crazy concert going on and people will pay $200 without complaining. What do you hallow? What's important? See, are you tracking me? Are we, are we together? Is it all making sense? Is it connecting? God is saying the place that means the most to us is to come to a place when our solitude, when we are alone, the thing that preoccupies our lives, if it is not God, that thing needs to be demoted. I, read, I was reading about uh, this uh, pastor that was talking about a situation that he was dealing with in his church. A couple that had had a situation happen in their marriage. Their husband had had an affair. And things were going crazy and he's working with them, trying to reconcile the marriage. Wife had forgiven them. They're trying to encourage the guy to, 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 uh, to start moving on. You know, God has forgiven, showing him through scriptures. Many people that he wasn't the first person that did what he did and how God is merciful, especially if my wife has forgiven him and he, she wants to move on, then he needs to. And the guy could not forgive himself. He had the hardest time to forgive himself. And it turns out as he went on with the, and, and there's the dagger and I start talking, what really came out 
was that he had the thing that really mattered, that really got him down. His dad had died. And his family was a very straight family. It was a very good family. And he had been taught well. And his father had died and he just fell. Like he disappointed his father so much. And that was kept in. He feel like, how can I, how can I forgive myself when I, di- I disappointed my dad that much? And you know, it might seem like that's very nice, very religious, very good. They're really hardy. But you know, what was discovered is that he needed to demote his parents and exalt God. Because what the place that the parents had occupied in his heart was the place where only God should have been. What is it that needs demoting in your life? What is that need demoting? Is it your job? Is it your money? Is it your family? Is it the country? Maybe you served with pride. Everything, everything, everything needs to take second place. And when we discover them, we demote it because there's strong competition for who occupies the place of adoration. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If we get the spirit of praise in that secret place in our hearts, it would unlock a relationship that you never believed with God because it brings things into perspective. Have you ever been in a time of prayer where you are going through a difficult thing, you don't even know how to pray, and you just start concentrating on the greatness of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God and how wonderful he is and just spending your time only adoring the only one who deserves my praise and just exalt. And all of a sudden, there's a shift. This is where my burden was. I am so low because he's so high from me. And as I begin to exalt Jesus, my burden just begins to look smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and, and you get up here. You didn't even pray for the thing you went to prayer for. You just begin to see how big your God is. And all of a sudden, the things of your life that look so big begin to be small. Yes, I can do it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with, with, with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You keep on and on and on. Perspective changes. Yes, I'm going through a hard time, but my God is bigger. Yes, I don't know. There, is, there seems to be no way, but my God says he specializes in that. That God makes a way where there seems to be no way. He creates rivers in the desert. It seems like an impossible situation. Nothing is impossible with God. Perspective changes. When we get to the point of adoration. Let me read you Psalm 91. If you've got your Bible, Psalm 91. It's a great promise. I'm going to close with this. Oh boy, I went long. Tell you what, read Psalm 91 at home. I'm going to pray for you. Stand up. If Jesus comes before I finish this sermon, that's great. You won't need it anymore. But anyway, but, but it, just a little glimpse of that. It's a promise of the person that goes to their room. A person who goes to the secret place. Because the Bible says that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High 
shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that I will say of my God that he is my refuge, he is my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For in the day of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. I will fear no evil because he's with me. Amen? There is tremendous blessing of people that find that place, that secret place, that room. Father, we thank you. We want nothing, Lord. We want no riches. We want no gold. We want nothing, God, but you. We want, Lord, we ask you to forgive us of any idols that we have exalted above you, Lord. Attitudes, things, people, systems, accolades, oh God, we ask that we denounce everything in the name of Jesus. And we ask that the Lord Jesus Christ will be promoted in every aspect of our lives. The Lord Jesus Christ will be promoted in our career, in our, in our families, in our finances, in, the, in this nation even, Lord, we pray. Nothing matters but you, God. We want your presence more than anything. We need you, Lord, more than anything. We want you in our lives. Come and touch our hearts with who you are, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus. In that attitude of prayer, I just want every head bowed. I want to take one.